electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the broadening rally. The S&P having its best week in more than a month now. Does it mean the next leg higher is ahead? We debate the markets with our investment committee. And joining me for the hour today are Jim Labenthal, Steve Weiss, Jenny Harrington is the CEO and portfolio manager at Gilman Hill Asset Management. Michael Farr is with us, too, the president of Farr, Miller and Washington. Let's check the markets. Uh, stocks pacing, as we said, the best week since July. Take a look there. Uh, Dow is now up 230. S&P is good for 32. And as Carl said, a lot of it has to do, at least in the last few moments, on this headline from Larry Kudlow, the president's top economic advisor, saying that the president now wants to do a deal on stimulus, that he has approved a revised stimulus deal. Let's go right to Elon Moy down in Washington, who can fill us in a little bit more. Elon? Well, Scott, the president himself tweeted on the state of the discussions over another coronavirus relief package. He said that the negotiations are moving along and he encouraged the negotiators to go big. This, as as you mentioned, White House economic advisor Larry Kudlow saying that there has been a plan that the president has signed off on and it is relatively broad based. Now, what we know is that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the Treasury Secretary are supposed to talk again sometime this afternoon. They have been in almost constant contact, almost daily contact. And we know that the president has said he's willing to go beyond uh, PPP, direct checks, and aid to the airlines and do something bigger. Exactly how big? That is what the negotiators will be talking about, I am sure, during this phone call later on today. But for now, we know that the president, after calling off the talks earlier this week, is now encouraging negotiators to go big. Back over to you. Elon, appreciate that very much. Elon Moy down in Washington for Steve Weiss. I don't know if the market necessarily needs stimulus to continue to go higher, but it certainly likes it. Dow's now positive for 2020. I, I think stimulus would be an added bonus. The market appropriately has said, look, we're going to get stimulus we know if we'll get it before, this is before today's comments, we know if we'll get it before the election, unlikely, that's what's been messaged, but we'll get it after the election either way. So they're willing to be patient. Part of that, of course, is because where else are you going to go? As we've talked about, if you're buying the 10-year, you're going to have to wait 10 years to get your full return capital back. In the meantime, the coupon is going to be losing money when it's inflation adjusted. So equities continue to be the place to be. Now, I think that Trump is rightly saying, hey, you know what? The Republicans can't be looked at as holding it up and the Democrats want to go bigger. So we've got to meet that challenge and go ahead. So I continue to be optimistic about a stimulus plan. All we need, to your point, is the continued positive messaging to give the market that added push. Jenny, the the Fed has already served up the Sunday, right? We all know that tastes pretty good. Certainly, Uh, this is a cherry on top for investors, right? 
if it came through in short order, it would be the big cherry. But but Steve made a really good point, which is that we don't need the stimulus as long as we need as much as we need the messaging that it's out there. I think right now, with respect to this tweet, who knows what way the wind was blowing when that came out. I don't have a lot of faith that that tweet means anything is going to happen faster or slower than it was before. I think what the market's pricing in is that between now and next January, there will be a big stimulus package and we will get that. And that's what matters. The precise timing doesn't matter as much. Yeah. Michael Farr, um, the fact of the matter is you have a broadening rally, right? Uh, this week, best since July. Mm -hmm. And you have Russell 2000, best week since June, energy top performer this week, banks and regionals both coming off the sixth positive session in seven, best week since early June. That's a good sign for the overall market. We're not talking about tech every day anymore. Thank no, God. and I don't necessarily feel like it's a rotation out of tech either, Scott. I mean, I don't feel like this is necessarily happening at the expense of tech. We're getting a bid in some of these more cyclical areas. The value stocks that we've talked about on halftime report for the past few months, we were maybe a month or so too early. I should, I'd always like to be a month or so too early with, with an idea. But it's beginning to catch the bid that the halftime report said it was going to catch. So congratulations, Scott. We're getting that. And it's broadening out, which I think is a very healthy sign. I think the implications are really kind of remarkable. I expected to see stocks this week really down. I mean, when we saw Vice President Biden jump ahead in the polls and the president in the hospital and sidelined from campaigning, I would have figured that Wall Street would have looked at Biden's tax package and said this is going to be a disaster and I expected stocks to be down. Wall Street's saying they're not all that concerned about the Biden proposals here. In fact, shares are going up. With a broadening rally, I think it's very encouraging for investors. So Jim Labenthal, Tony Dwyer, broadening rally reinforces his positive core fundamental thesis. Does it do the same for you? Uh, yes, it does. Um, and this is exactly, exactly what we wanted. As Michael just said, you're not seeing liquidation in the technology shares. You're seeing a broadening out. Now, that's been occurring for some time. So the industrials have had a massive bid to them for about a month and a half. The materials uh, stocks have been catching up as well. You want to see the next step. And what is that next step? It's the financials. That's where you really want to see some love coming in. Now, let's talk about that for a second. You have seen financials rally over the last week. That is solely because of the 10-year Treasury yield going up above 7 tenths of a percent. I don't think you can count on that going forward. I don't think you can count on the 10-year continuing to march higher. The Fed's going to sit on it because they want the mortgage rates low so that the housing market continues. So what you need to see, and this is coming back full circle to where you started, Scott, you do need to see fiscal stimulus for the financials to work and the broadening to continue because loan losses are what's going to move the financials higher, meaning lower loan losses than expected. And for that, you need fiscal stimulus. So, Steve, best week for the banks since June. From what I understand, you're taking a look pretty hard at a couple of banks and thinking about a big tech holding that you have, maybe replacing it with some financials? Yeah, so I, I've talked about selling Google. Um, I'm almost there. When I look at it, it's been a bad proxy for the NASDAQ over the last two years. Over the last five years, you know, it, it just hasn't outperformed. There are always spending issues. And I'm looking at the banks, I'm saying, what would I buy? And B of A is the one that comes to mind. As I said before, I think Moynihan is the best CEO in the bank group. We give Jamie Dimon a free pass. Over the last two weeks, we've had nearly $2 billion in penalties and fines against <coughs> J.P. Morgan from fixing this, fixing that in terms of their traders. 
But look at B of A, look at their price to book, and look at how Moynihan has kept reins on the company that had a much tougher time coming out of it in terms of what he was given in the financial crisis. The other one I'm looking at is Goldman. I like what they're doing in terms of going direct to the consumer more, getting away from the institutions. And at the end of the day, they've got the deepest bench, and I still think the best managed brokerage. Morgan Stanley's another one, but my focus right now is on Goldman and B of A. So what, what would push you over the edge then? What would force you to sell Google and put that money into B of A and or Goldman? You know, candidly, I may do it Monday. I might want to get there before B of A. I'd like to see the economy improve, and that's really what my trigger is. If the economy's improving, to Jim's point, you'll see the 10-year, you'll see the curve steepen, and that's what you really need for the banks to make money. Yeah. And right now, we'll get it. we're not seeing that. As a matter of fact, the economy's retrenching a little bit. If you get stimulus, though, and I think to, to Michael Farr's uh, comments, if you get a Biden victory, Forget the tax consequences. Look at the massive stimulus you'll get, fiscal stimulus and infrastructure. That would increase the economic growth. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah, your time frame, too. And, and it's no accident that you're talking about Monday. It's trying to get ahead of some of the bank earnings, which start flowing heavily next week. I totally get the point you're trying to make. What about this idea, Jenny, of what energy has done this week? Um, best week for WTI since June. Uh, energy's been the best performing group this week. It's still the laggard on the year, down nearly 50%, so we're not kidding ourselves in terms of what that group has done. And as Josh Brown has made the point every day that he's been on recently, these stocks have been completely liquidated recently. Is there any reason to believe that what we've witnessed this week has staying power? Yeah, I think so. I think maybe two weeks ago or so I used Chevron as my final trade and the reason I did that was because I think that it wasn't reflecting the stability in oil prices in the share price and that's really important. I think stability in oil prices, stability in energy prices is almost as critical as high energy prices as long as we can predict. I'm looking right now at a chart of, um, of rig counts in the U.S. Would you believe that rig counts in the U.S. are lower than they were even in 2015, 14, 15, 16 when we were having that oil crisis? So I think that we're seeing a lot of supply still come offline. We just saw Iran say that um, I'm sorry, we saw Saudi say that they may not increase production as much as they were anticipating before. So I think we have a reasonably rational setup for managing supply demand out there, and that could support $40 plus oil. With $40 plus oil, we know that there's a lot of profit to be made in that. Meanwhile, the stocks are being treated still as if they're dead forever. Steve, I'm sure you'll argue with me on this, um, but I think that there's legitimately value there. And also, what's gone on in the energy share prices isn't correlated to the price of oil. The price of oil has been really steady this week. I think this is just the broadening of the rally and people coming in and saying, whoa, these things have a four, five, six, seven percent yield. They're trading at three, four, five times earnings. There's simply value and cash flow to be had there. It, it depends what your time frame necessarily is, right? right? I mean, even, you know, right. uh, Carl Icahn yesterday uh, was, was speaking and he's got some energy holdings. He's, you know, he knows the pain that they've mm -hmm. delivered of late. Uh, but even he joked that in three years time, people may kick themselves for not having snapped up inexpensive energy companies in 2020. It's right, Steve. I mean, I'm sure you, what, right. what is what is seemingly trash today might be treasure tomorrow if you're willing to wait. Here's what I tell you. If Chevron doubles from here, Skyworks <laughs> is going to triple. So I'd rather be in Skyworks. Look, 
unquestionably there's value there with those yields, but I'm looking for performance. And the smartest investors in energy in the world, including Carl Icahn, are having a tough time. Look at Oxy, one of his largest positions. He's been underwater for that. So there's another trend that's being missed that Jenny's not really talking about, and that's ESG, which despite being 40% of assets globally and 25% of publicly managed assets domestically, that's going to continue to grow. And climate change, while we dispute the science here presently, that's not going to always be the case. So you can get your energy exposure and not have to explain away owning Chevron in your portfolio by buying some of the names that I own. And that's where I think you're going to continue to see the growth, not in fossil fuels. They're not good for the environment, and they won't be good for your portfolios either. Michael Farr, okay, there's industrials, there's transports, Cat, Deer, FedEx, Eaton, all hitting new highs this week. Is this something to believe in? I think it's I think you believe the enthusiasm. Uh, One thing on the energy stocks that I think is a danger, Scott, before we get away from them, is that some of those dividends are very attractive. Steve mentioned the dividends and he's right. But I had a client call and say, I want to buy Exxon because the dividends 10 percent. All of those stocks are not the same. Exxon's going to actually have to borrow money to keep paying that dividend. They're not paying you a 10% dividend because it's a good, safe dividend with a, with a U.S. Treasury at 75 basis points. That's a huge spread. When you see huge dividends, you typically have a fair amount of risk there. I would say be careful of those balance sheets, and you really need to own what you own. But yes, I think the, the, the renaissance a, a bit in some of the agricultural space and some of the heavy equipment space, those stocks got killed. They're beginning to show some signs of life for an economic recovery. Again, going back to what Steve said, if you end up with a Biden infrastructure, more spending, fiscal spending kind of a program, those infrastructure bills uh, are going to benefit. There's going to be money there in those areas. What it does to the national debt still scares the hell out of me, but that's just because I'm old and I don't like all this debt. But in the near term, when they're spending the money, these guys are going to catch a bid and they'll go higher. Yeah. Let me get back down to Elon Moy, uh, if I could, uh, for more details on stimulus. Elon? Well, Scott, I can now confirm that the White House is planning to offer Democrats a $1.8 trillion coronavirus relief package that is up from their previous offer of $1.6 trillion. And it comes after the president tweeted just a little bit ago, negotiators go big. So that offer is what uh, the Treasury Secretary will present to the House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, when they talk over the phone later on this afternoon. There is still a question, though, over how long it would take to get a deal done, even if Democrats do agree to this number. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell was just saying earlier today in Kentucky that he thinks it's unlikely an agreement could be reached by the time of the election. But we now know that the White House will be increasing their offer to $1.8 trillion. Scott. And Elon, the Democrats have been where? 2.2? $2.2 trillion. And it also seems unlikely that Pelosi would be able to pass anything in her caucus that is below $2 trillion. So we'll see 
if they can come to some sort of agreement on the, on the top line. And also remember, it's not just the overall number, it's also the details of the language as well. Pelosi has said that she wants to ensure that she's not giving the administration a blank check. So there is still a lot of fine tuning to go, even if a top line number is agreed to. Uh, but what we are seeing now is the two sides coming closer together after we had thought that a deal was completely off the table just days ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, it used to be one side's at 1.8, one side's at 2.2. Maybe you go to two. I don't know. We'll see where this one goes. Elon, thanks for the update. Appreciate it. We'll see where it all goes from here. Elon Moy down in Washington, D.C. Uh, Jim Labenthal, how about this idea? Okay, if you get stimulus and you get big stimulus, is that the thing that pushes the value trade really into having some legs? These industrial stocks, which have gotten bids this week, the names that I said, right? New highs this week, Cat, Eaton, Deer. That can only help those names. I, I think that's exactly right. But let me also broaden that discussion. That's one of three things that we are supposed to look forward to. Or put another way, look through the current environment of we don't know if we're going to get fiscal stimulus or we don't know what the election's going to bring or, you know, the virus is getting worse. You need to look through, and the industrials are doing this, look through for three to six months forward and believe, as I believe, that you'll have a sitting president who is duly elected. You'll have fiscal stimulus. I can't tell you when. I can't tell you how much, but I strongly believe you'll have it. And you'll probably have some progress, meaningful progress on vaccine or treatment for the virus. Meaning you get through those things, you look forward through the next few months to that sort of landscape. Uh, listen, industrials work, materials work, financials work, and even energy works. So not to the exclusion of technology, it's in addition to technology working. Yeah. Well, Jenny, Morgan Stanley has a list. I mean, everybody's got a list now of these reopening stocks and recovery stocks, which they say you should take a look at. We've talked about some of them already. Bank of America's on that list. Alaska Air, which I know Jim Labenthal owns. There's Delta Airlines. You start getting into, you know, urging people to buy airline stocks. I mean, you're heading out per perhaps <laughs> into the risk curve a, a little bit far. JetBlue is on that list. Las Vegas Sands. You've got some hotels like Hilton. Valero, uh, Charles Schwab, City. We're showing them you on the wall. I'm not reading them all, but you, but you can see those. Jenny, what do you make of this list? Freeport. You know, I think, yeah. I think the theme amongst them that look, they, they look like a really disparate list of companies, but the theme is just as life gets back to normal, their businesses will return to normal. And they un are underpriced. And I do think that as we broaden out, as we broaden, the valuation gap narrows. So as that valuation gap narrows, these companies should, these are the ones that had the most impact, and they should start to improve, and they should just start to resume normal, normal life. I think one of the things that I found interesting that's happened is that when March and April came, right, all of these facts and all of these financials that we'd always, always depended on to be so true were thrown out the window, and story stock surged. But as we get back to normal, facts and financials will start to matter again. And we've seen that really happen. I think we're going to see that happen more and more as Q3 earnings come. So the list of stocks that was on that wall, they're going to be the direct beneficiaries of fact, financials, and dependability just returning to the normal process of investment and analyzing their companies. Why is you buying more Ford? Yeah, so Ford, which I initiated the position, I guess a couple of weeks ago when they reported uh, their monthly sales, they had their best quarter since 2005 on the Ford 150. They picked up more market share in the top-selling SUV in the world, which is the Explorer. Those are high-margin products. 
I've looked at buying cars of last month. There is no inventory. So that's because they cut production globally, all the car companies, because of COVID, because supply chain fell down. And now when people are looking for cars and you've got used cars selling such a premium, they don't have to give you the incentives on new cars. So profitability be up. I didn't go into GM, much to Jim's chagrin, uh, because of the Nikola issue, which retrospect, I shouldn't have bothered that much about <laughs> because they're not paying Nikola anything. Nikola is paying them. But it just showed a lack of judgment in dealing with this company. Although at $2.7 billion they're getting, which is a lot less now, sort of made sense. But both will work. BMW will work. Daimler will work. So I like the auto sector overall. Auto kind of plays into Kramer's new uh, list of seven sectors of opportunity, too. We're focusing on chemicals today, but PPG plays into the auto space rather heavily. That's on his list as one of his top chemicals picks. The other one uh, is Dow, which is owned by Jim and Jenny. Jenny, you go first, then Jim. Sure. So on Dow, like the list, like the wall of stocks that you had it before, this is just as normal life and normal operations return, Dow will thrive. Dow makes everything from the filling in pillows to my, you know, what's in my sneakers to the artificial turf, the artificial running tracks. They make everything. And so as we just get back to normal, whatever normal is, they're going to thrive. Meanwhile, it's still trading with, a, I think, a almost 6% dividend yield, a dirt cheap forward earnings multiple. It's a great company. It's a wonderful, it, it's a wonderful thing to highlight and start to focus on. Yeah. Uh, stock is uh, in the tank uh, year to date, Jim. It's down 9.5% uh, on the year. Better days ahead. Is Kramer right? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, not to sound defensive. I mean, I bought this, I believe it was in April and just a fantastic price to get this company. If, if we're bullish on industrials, which I obviously am, you know, you can't make things with machinery equipment that don't use chemicals. Dow makes polyethylene, which is the precursor to just about every chemical or material that you're going to use in industrial applications. And as Jenny pointed out, that dividend yield, let's just talk about that for a second. The market is saying with that dividend yield that it thinks there's a cut in the offing. I just don't see that. I, I mean, I look at the balance sheet and the profitability. I see absolutely no dividend cut in the offing. That's the great opportunity. The price should come up to knock the dividend yield down to be more in line with the market. Michael Farr, you don't right. own and I in addition. Yeah, I'm sorry, Jenny, go ahead. Sorry, in addition, you have a just real quick. You have, you have a board that says the dividend is our A number one priority. We will stand behind this at any cost and we can absolutely afford to pay that dividend. So that is really compelling, particularly in this zero interest rate kind of world. Yeah, uh, got to get yield somewhere uh, in that environment. Jenny, thank you for mm -hmm. that. All right, Michael Farr, Valmont Industries, that's your chemical play. I've liked Valmont for a long time. Uh, it's the infrastructure play. I've been talking about it all year. It's gotten beaten around. It's kind of a mid-cap stock. But for infrastructure, for a resurgence in 4G and 5G build out in this country, they make the towers, they make irrigation equipment. It also plays back into the deer idea and the feather spending. The stock still looks cheap to me, very reasonably valued. Double-digit growth rate going forward. I just think it's a good core idea with a solid balance sheet. It's a, it's a kind of hit them where they ain't, buy the things that aren't all that sexy and wait for them to find some sex appeal. Valmont, I think, is looking sexier by the day. Well, let's just take a moment. I'm going to pivot our conversation. But, but before I do that, I just want to show you the markets, uh, which certainly got a lift off of those headlines of the last 20 minutes or so. 
where the president uh, wants a stimulus deal. Uh, he is the White House raising uh, their dollar figure to one point eight trillion dollars. That's what Elon Moy has delivered to us in the last uh, moments or so that, that caused the Dow to go positive for 2020. There's the S&P, which is uh, higher now by nearly one percent. Russell 2000 has been been strong all week. Uh, and that's up about two thirds of one percent. So stimulus seems to be progressing. Um, look at the Nasdaq, too. Uh, tech has lagged this week. So the Nasdaq was playing catch up and now it's an outperformer. And there's some interesting stuff, gang, uh, going on in technology today. The semis, right? You've got these AMD and Xilinx talks, Weiss. Semis are by far your biggest uh, exposure uh, in this market. What do you think about this particular deal? this combination and then about the space in general? You know, tech combinations are always strange because there are so, so many personalities that some just don't want to go to that different culture. So, so putting it together can be an issue. AMD management's excellent, so they can do it. But then you've got a lot of antitrust concerns going forward. We saw it with China. We saw it with the Qualcomm deal. Um, NXPI just closed their deal. But overall, you have to remember on semis is that they go into everything. So there's a lot of auto exposure between those two companies. And I like the auto space, but it's also been under pressure because one of the reasons I like it, because production's been down. So semis are going to continue to move higher. That's the base case. If you take a look at, for example, the iPhone or mobile phones, the dollar content for a Skyworks chip or a Corvo chip, both of which I own, goes from roughly $9 per phone to a range of $18 to $25 per phone. So you've got continued movement of chips into all these devices to everything we do. And that's just not ending anytime soon, even if everybody goes back to work. It's not a stay at home or work from home play. It's a continued progression play. So I, I love the chip space. I got to tell you, though, you know, it's not like these things may just continue to go to the moon unabated. NVIDIA today, one of the darlings of tech this year, downgraded to a sell at New Street. $400 price target that represents more than 25% downside from here. The stock is not moving all that much on it, probably because it's so loved. But I wonder if that forces anybody to take a step back and look at where tech in general, especially a lot of these hyper growth tech names, are currently valued. Jason Calacanis was on the previous hour and said, quote, I think everything, speaking of that area, is fully valued to overvalued. Do you agree, Jim? Um, I do. I mean, fully valued is the key term there. Now, I'm not going to look right this second at NVIDIA's forward earnings. I think, I think it's an 80 times multiple on a forward basis. Could it go to 90 or 100? You bet it could. But no investor like me is going to make that investment saying, yeah, I think the multiple is going to expand further. That's called speculation. It can happen, but it doesn't necessarily have a rational basis behind it. So in that environment, I think what you see is a dwindling number of buyers. That doesn't necessarily mean you have sellers. So this speaks to the idea that you can have a flatlining of NVIDIA and some of these tech darlings and a broadening out of the rally without a necessarily uh, a, a massive decline in their share price. I think you just literally run out of buyers. Is there anyone who doesn't own NVIDIA besides me, of course? And I'm not going to run out and buy it me right neither. now. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, I, have more business. I, don't know. I, I have more business to do with you. 
uh, Jim. Uh, we'll do that after the break, though. I need to talk to Steve Weiss, too, after the break about Apple ahead of its big event next week. We're also going to talk shares of General Electric. Down, as you know, big time this year, 40%. One firm, though, now says is the time to buy it. We're going to debate that next. It's our call of the day. And a reminder, last week at the 10th annual Delivering Alpha Conference, I spoke to social capitalist Chamath Palihapitiya on the booming world of SPACs getting money to small business, speaking of stimulus as we are today, and of course the markets. Please check out the full interview. Go to DeliveringAlpha.com. Halftime's back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. I'm Seema Modi and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has unveiled legislation backed by the 25th Amendment of the Constitution to ensure effective and uninterrupted leadership in the office of the president. Pelosi insists the move is not about President Trump, but instead it is about the need for greater congressional oversight of the White House. In Italy, health officials reporting more than 5,300 new coronavirus infections, the most for a single day since March. This as the country implements a new nationwide mandate requiring masks to be worn outside. In Britain, nearly 14,000 new cases confirmed today, down slightly from yesterday, but still well above anything seen before this month's surge. The British government also announcing it will pay two-thirds of the salaries of workers at companies that have to close as a result of the new coronavirus restrictions expected next week. And that's your CNBC News update at this hour. Scott, back to you. All right, Seema, thank you, Seema Modi. All right, Jim Labenthal, let's do this. You sold Roku. You sold Roku, but you told me just this past Monday <laughs> that you were not going to get out until it starts going down. Those were your words. This thing's been going up. Why are you yeah. selling it now? Yeah. Well, it did go down from yesterday's high. And, you know, maybe you're going to say, hey, Jimmy, you're being way too cute. But let's put this into perspective. I'm glad you said it so I didn't um, have to. It's up. <laughs> Uh, it is up 30% in six weeks, Scott. And, you know, I, I, that, that factors in. This is a trading vehicle for me, right? You know and I know there's no way I can value this thing. I'm, I mean, it's 14 times next year's sales. I can't do anything with that. Um, it is only a momentum trade. Uh, I saw it bounce off of that high yesterday. I look at 30% over six weeks and I say, if I could do that day in and day out, that annualizes to an 800% return. Now, I can't do that. You know I can't do that. I know I can't do that. But I'm not going to be able to do it if I don't clock the returns, if I don't put it in the bag. And that's what I'm doing right now. Could it go higher from here? Sure it could. And if people make money doing that, God bless them. If it comes down, I'll look for another opportunity to do this trade again. I've done it five times. I've made, I've made money four times over two years, and it's been a great blessing to my returns, but I have to clock those wins when I get them. Yeah. I mean, look at, it, look at the intraday chart today. You've, you've disappointed all those people, Jim, who have been, been preaching the gospel on, on Roku. 
What would cause you to get you, back you in? You know, Scott, I, yeah. look at that. I, I feel kind look of like it's an. That I, is the Labenthal <laughs> drop. I feel like it's an addiction, okay? And I, I, I feel like I can't get away <laughs> your, from this however hard yours I are, try. Yours or mine. <laughs> we'll be back in this. You know we'll be back in it. It's too much fun. But for day, today, I want to go into the weekend feeling good, holding my head high. So it's time to just book the game. All right. Labenthal puts a dent in Roku. Blame him, not us. Uh, Steve Weiss, you're buying Apple calls. Speaking of tech, ahead of the 5G event next week. Yeah, but first I need a moment to recover from you calling Jim cute. That, that just didn't sit well with me. Nice trade, Jim. Are you great jealous? Trade. Touching. Congratulations. I know you're jealous. Uh, yeah, the so cool thing is, Apple. Weiss, is your, your, your jokes don't get jealous. any better. They just stay bad. No, no, Go ahead. Don't. We already moved they on, don't. Weiss. Go they ahead. Don't. I speak the truth. Okay, Apple. Uh, the big event is on the 13th. They say welcome to speed, and that's because 5G phones can be up, well, 5G can be up to 100 times as fast as 4G. That won't be in the phones, but in my view, the 5G will be the biggest launch in their history. So I think Apple's going to, uh, the stock usually trades up in advance of product announcements. It hasn't here. Part of the reason I believe is because numbers coming out of Asia, Han Hai, which is one of their suppliers, were down 20% in September year over year. That's because Apple pushed the launch of the phone out. So. I don't know if this is going to bode well for Apple's quarter, but I think that people will look at this phone and say, wow, this is true innovation. Verizon's going to announce a nationwide 5G network next week as well, which they've been talking about. All it's going to lead to Apple having a phenomenal launch, phenomenal, you know, uh, customers going to re-up. They've been waiting for this. So I think it's very exciting. So I bought the calls. I have the core position not touching that through thick or thin. I'm staying with that. Okay. Speaking of calls, there's a new one. We mentioned it. On GE, we're going to debate that next in our call of the day. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, welcome back. Let's get to this bullish call now. On that company right there, General Electric shares up 5% today. Goldman Sachs reinstating the stock with a buy, a $10 price target, 
Of course, it's down almost 40% this year. We've made it our call of the day. Jenny, what do you do with this call? They say there's, they're making progress to be a leaner, structurally more productive company with better capital discipline. They're going to emerge from the pandemic, a, quote, stronger company. Airline travel, they point to, going to resume. Expectations are discounted. They're also under-earning their potential in power and renewables. Buy it or no? No, not for me. That might all be true, but we need to remember that this is an unbelievably dense, complicated company. In fact, I tried researching it about three years ago and couldn't, couldn't get to a great conclusion. I think to be able to really understand GE, you need to be a full-time research analyst and spend 40 to 80 hours a week working on it. So when I read the Goldman call this morning, my knee jerk was to say like, oh, that's really interesting and that's really compelling. And then I took a step back, remembered how complicated it was, remembered who I think is the best analyst on this, which is Stephen Tusa at JP Morgan, and revisited where he stands now. He's a neutral and he's not really positive. In fact, I was just reading a note of his where he says, says um, he sees a company that continues to contend with its past, unable to move forward with a mosaic of negative signals suggesting no quick turn. So I really stick with him on this. I think he knows it better than anyone and has the ability to go deep and form, a, form an opinion where many of us, most of us can't do that. My, Michael Farr, so Jenny says until Tusa speaks, she's not buying it in more ways than one. Mm -hmm. What about you? Mm -hmm. Right. Jen, and Jenny makes a lot of sense, and her points are absolutely excellent, and I kind of agree with them. You know, I want to buy a GE, and I haven't. And I want to buy it only for one reason, and that's Larry Culp. You know, you watched what he did at Danaher. I've known Larry Culp for years. He knows how to manage a big conglomerate. And somehow my purchase of D GE, which I'm dying to make, I just can't bring myself to do it, is a vote of confidence uh, entirely in Larry Culp. When you start to dig down, though, they can't quantify their exposure to the long-term care insurance <laughs> business. They have a power business that's kind of a disaster. Their deal timing and trying to put things together hasn't been really good. So I think Jenny's entirely right with her caution. Mine would be more of a bet on Culp, and I'm still not ready to pull the trigger. So you own Raytheon, Michael. Jim, you do as well. Yes. What's the best name, Jim, you have in the industrial space right now? Well, look, the one that's got the best bid to it is Caterpillar. And you just look at the chart. It just set a new 52-week high. Um, that, and that's an easy one to simply say, that you simply say, look, it's, it's got uh, the supply chain uh, reshoring going on. It's got infrastructure potentially coming. I think that's just the easiest one to be in. You can take some more speculative bets, and you see I'm in Boeing. You know, that's one, and I've said before, and Steve and I have gotten into it on this, that uh, it's a call option on the commercial aircraft business. Why not take that call option instead of General Electric? I'm not hating on General Electric, but at least with Boeing, you've got this massive defense business underneath it, and you've got the call option on the commercial business for when recovery hits. Why don't you weigh in then, Weiss? I'm going to give you the chip names. They're going to all the industrials. They're, they're taking the uh, pure robotics into the warehouses, into the factories, every manufacturing. That's going to be chips. But in terms of GE, look, to me, this is no stock left behind. This is where you go when you can't find anything else. They sold their growth, their healthcare businesses. If you're going to buy leverage to a reopening trade, don't go here with their balance sheet, even though it's been improved. And perhaps the only reason the company hasn't filed bankruptcy is cult. But go to the airlines. Well, why go to derivative? The airlines are much higher beta than GE is going to be. So 
I wouldn't touch it here. I just wouldn't go near it. All right. We will take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll do Ask Halftime. And you still have time to send in your questions and do it by video. We'll play it on the air. You can email us at askhalftime at CNBC.com. We're back in two minutes. All right, let's answer your questions now. First up, a video question from Anthony in New Jersey. Question for you guys on Brookfield Renewable Partners, ticker BEP. Uh, I feel like this makes for a great long-term investment with the increased debt levels throughout the world in both corporations and governments, uh, the long-term contracts that Brookfield signs to their clients in producing their power, and the decline in costs that come with uh, wind and solar power. So I think Brookfield makes for a great long-term investment. Curious to hear what you guys think. All right. Appreciate the question, Anthony. Thank you so much. Steve Weiss, you own it, so why don't you answer it? I do. Anthony, you put it perfectly that they are the future. They are signing long-term agreements. They just signed one multi-year agreement for power. And you've got the Brookfield alternative team, which is phenomenal, the best in the business behind this. So I'd rather own that with a 3.3% yield, pay attention, Jenny, than partner with the Saudis on Chevron because they control fossil fuel pricing. All right, Jim, next one to you. Wes in Roanoke, uh, Greenbrier. What's your take right now, Jim, on, yeah. on Greenbrier? Where do you think it's going? Yep. So long term, this is a great stock. Uh, two years ago, it was $60 a share. I think it will be back there. But in the short term, this is a hold. And here's why. It's up 53% in three months. And you've got to ask yourself, where's the next 10% move? It could well be to the downside. So if you don't own it, wait for a better entry point. If you do own it, hold on to it. I'm not selling any shares. So it's up 53% in three months, right? I mean, yep. okay, so Roku had a, a oh. big gain. <laughs> you know, I mean. I love your question. <laughs> I love your question. Okay, you Let know where I'm going, it. right? I know I'm jumping in front of you. Roku yep. is up like because 12% this week, and yes. you, you get scared and you sell it because you don't want it to go down, and, and you don't want to oh, be greedy. Scared. Now that this thing's up 53% <laughs> in three months, and you're telling our guy or, or gal not to go anywhere. Yeah. And here's why. One's an investment, one is a trade. Meaning, you can value Greenbrier. You can say what the earnings are going to be and what's a reasonable valuation to put on it one year from now. Can't do that with Roku. Okay? I have no idea how to value it. It's 14 times sales. Could it go to 20 times? Sure. But I have no reason to say that it will. Greenbrier has got rail loadings going up right now, which feeds into its rail car production and refurbishment. Those earnings are going to go up. Uh, I think it will have a reasonable multiple that will get it to $60 a share. But before it gets there, you might be back down at 31 first. That's where I want people to buy. Okay. I appreciate that. Thank you for, uh, thank you for answering that. Uh, Jenny, from Tim in Nebraska, Exelon, what do you think about it and utilities in general? Sure. Taking on Jim's theme of trade versus an investment, this is a great investment. You have a company that's trading at about 12 and a half times earnings. It's got a 3.9% yield. If you look at the big utilities like Duke, Dominion, Southern, Exelon, they're all about the same, right? They all have some of their energy generation from wind, solar, oil, gas. 
Exelon has more from nuclear than anyone else. They're the largest nuclear generator. I think you can own any of them. They're much better than bonds, but they're also long-term holdings. Know what you're getting into. It is not a home run. It is not huge growth. It's just slow and steady is going to win the race. Exelon's the cheapest of them all, too. It's a good idea. Okay. Michael I wish Farr. I owned it, but oh, I don't. Forgive me. Uh, Michael Farr, we finish with you I from don't. John in Maryland. What's a better long-term choice right now, Abbott Labs or Medtronic? John, I own both. I think both are kind of expensive. Abbott Labs is the best in class. It's 26 times earnings. I actually also own Becton Dickinson. It's the largest manufacturer of needles and syringes. It's at 18 times earnings. I just doubled my position in Becton Dickinson. I'm holding my positions in Abbott and Medtronic. But I think Becton Dickinson looks like a better buy. Okay. Good stuff, everybody. Thank you so much. Copper prices on pace for the best week since the end of August. The trade straight ahead on the half. Final trades in just a moment, but Steve Weiss, during the program, you sold out of Domino's. Please tell us why. So I, it was my final trade on Wednesday, which I apologize for, into the earnings yesterday. It was, I thought it was a really good quarter, but like the last quarter, and I bought it after last quarter when it declined, the market didn't like because they missed in the bottom line. So I lost a little money on the trade, but I just don't have patience to wait another month, two months for this to recover. When I've got so much exposure in the market and so many things that are working. So yeah. that's why I sold. I got you know, stopped out immediately, bought more yesterday, and got stopped out immediately, sold the rest today. Their earnings, I mean, the quarter was good. Comps are really good. It's just the fact that they're grappling with higher commodity costs. Cheese prices are, are way up, and that was a big weight, and that's one of the issues. i got to get to everybody else, but I, I hear you on that. Uh, Jenny, final trade, please. So oddly enough, I just ordered Domino's during the program. No, just kidding. Iron Mountain. It's trading at about 12 times earnings. It has an eight and three quarter yield. I don't think it gets any credit for the data warehouses that it's building out. And meanwhile, the businesses that they serve are not okay. the ones who are being terribly impacted during the pandemic. All right, Michael Farr, I need a name, please. Uh, Donaldson, DCI, filtration system, SMIDCAP. I think it's going to continue to benefit. I'm buying it. Jim Labenthal, a name, quick. Alaska Airlines. All right, good weekend, everybody. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.